Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and right alongside is none other than LPGA uh, professional uh, Cindy Miller. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. Wel- welcome back. Actually, you were you were uh, off last week. Uh, we actually didn't have a show last week. Uh, you were doing some other things, and uh, we'll talk about that real quick. And and of course, Cindy and I are the hosts of the Women of Golf Show. And we want to welcome you this morning. And uh, we'll, we'll get to uh, what Cindy was up to last week. Just to remind everybody, just a quick second, but very quickly remind everybody that every Tuesday, unless we other, uh, otherwise state, from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern time, uh, you'll find us right here on blogtalkradio.com's Women of Golf show. Just go to blogtalkradio.com, type in the search key Women of Golf, and that will take you right to the main page. And during the live broadcasts on Tuesdays, uh, you can join us uh, on, on the show or uh, if you're not able to do so, you can go to that link, blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf, and you can go down to the on-demand section and listen when it's convenient for you. Uh, you can also get us at iTunes.com, type in under podcast, women of golf, and that will take you to the page there in iTunes for those of you that uh, use Apple products. Um, also, uh, we always try to encourage you, and we would love to hear from you. Uh, you're welcome to call in and speak to either Cindy or myself. And to do so, you can call area code 347-945-5855, or you can reach out to Cindy and I at our emails, mindsted.golftalklive at gmail.com, uh, or you can reach out to Cindy at cindy at cindymillergolf.com. And if you're interested in coming on the show, if you're in the golf profession, whether you be a teacher, coach, or maybe somebody in the uh, business side of golf and you want to come on the show, you can reach out to Cindy at cindy at cindymillergolf.com. Got a great show for you this morning. We're going to start out uh, here with just a, uh, a little bit to recap of Cindy's uh, boot camp that she had last week, and then we're going to jump right into her uh, part two of her Own Your Game series, the pregame. Uh, we're going to talk about that, and a little bit later, we're going to be joined by Myra Blackwelder, who is a uh, native Kentuckian, and she's a former LPGA Tour player, and we're going to talk to her uh, in about a half an hour's time. So let's get right down to it. Cindy, uh, boot camp last week, how did it go? You know, it was really good. We had a couple of juniors, uh, one girl that was a senior in high school and one that's a, a boy that's a junior, and then we had four adults. And everybody had different skill levels, and it really worked out pretty good. Um, we make people define why they are coming, because it's a lot of money to come to invest in your game, Right. And, and tell us, you know, what are you doing here? Why do you want to be here? And what is it that you want to learn? And I don't know that people really <clears throat> sit and think about why. What's right. their motive for doing this? Um, I think, you know, number one, they're not getting the results that they would like. So, but they, I don't know that they know how to get the results. Right. I, I have, you know, maybe you have the same thing. People come on your lesson tee, and I say, you know, okay, so what would you like to learn? Well, I keep picking my head up. <laughs> well, then I would, I would say, well, um, what result would you like? Well, I want the ball to go in the air. Okay, so that's that's a result. I want to see a definite result of what I want the ball to do, or I want to lower my score, or I want to be more consistent. But they always mm-hmm. say, well, I bend my left elbow. They tell everybody, to me, they they always know what they do wrong, or they think they know what they do wrong. I right. don't know that they know how to do it right, needless to say, or they would not do it wrong, would they? No. And and you're, you're so right. And the other thing, too, that I think a lot of people misdiagnose themselves you know they think they're doing one thing because they've read something or they've seen something and they say, oh yeah that must be what i'm doing wrong because they're maybe having the same result but a lot of times as you know cindy you can be doing 
uh, different things and getting a similar result as somebody else. But what you're doing wrong might be different than what Sam or Sally over here is doing wrong. So this is why it's important to come to uh, you know, a professional like yourself or myself and, and really let us diagnose and take a look at what you're doing and, and then just have a discussion about it. But, yeah, you have to know why you're there. Well, and it could be that one symptom is causing all the issues. Right. And I'm sure that most people don't know how to diagnose, you know, or, or expose the symptom, if you will. Right. Right. And and, so, and that's so true. So when yes. during your boot during your boot camp, what were some of the just again? I know we don't have time to go through everybody, but maybe just a couple of examples. Maybe if you can think of it, um, what were some of the reasons that they? Um, you know, why, how they define their game. Maybe give us one or, or even two examples well, if you have time. I'm going to give you two examples. One is a young girl who's come four years to boot camp. Yep. And she's getting recruited by colleges, um, D1, D2 school. And it's funny how you see them mature in golf right. and almost gain wisdom after a long period and and so after the first round we play we teach you for every morning we have lunch we play 18 holes every afternoon so it's 72 holes it's a lot of golf i mean that's what wow. we call it boot camp yeah <laughs> and um so i asked her what is your goal for today and she said i'm going to commit to every shot i hit and that was a simple goal, right? Mm-hmm. And one that she could control. So then another woman that was there who had never been before and has only played golf for three or four years said, I want to hit every shot good. Well, now we all know. <laughs> because we played long enough. We wanted we to all... do that too, 30 yeah, years I ago. Do you that. Know. Yeah, I want to do that too, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so there you can see the lack of experience. And and so I said to her, I don't know that you know what to think. Right. And it's funny because a few years ago, Alan and I surveyed a bunch of business people to find out what they thought uh, went into business and golf and what were related, what, what character traits were transferable. And so on the list was strategic planning, decision-making, focus Mm -hmm. and concentration, tension management, and everyone, you know, 98% of the people picked focus and concentration as number one. Right. And and I thought, well, you don't even know what to focus and concentrate on. Right. So I believe that what they came away with, their takeaway was, wow, I really need to follow the procedure. And when I follow my personal procedure, I am focusing focusing and concentrating. You know, it, it's interesting that you mentioned about uh, some of the corporate types and that, because, you know, I, I work a lot with, with corporate uh, uh, golfers and that. And, and what's really interesting is, you know, I'll ask them very similar questions, you know, um, about their business, how they, you know, how they are successful in their business. And they'll have very definitive answers, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, whether it's like you say, focus or what have you. And, but then when I talk to them about their golf game, it's like they're all over the place. And, and it's interesting, they, they haven't figured out how to transform what they're doing in their business and, 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 you know, concentrating and all that kind of stuff out on the golf course. And they're, you know, as we, most people that are in this profession know that golf mimics life in so many ways. And a, a lot of people, for some reason, when they get over that little white ball, they freeze up and they don't know what to think uh, or they overthink. And that's a big problem. And that's why it's important that I think, you know, what you're talking about here is you really need to define your game, what it is that you want from your game, what do you want to accomplish. And you have to be just as precise about that as you are in your business. That doesn't mean you have to sit and, you know, uh, get so focused that you freeze up, but you have to have an understanding of why you're there and what it is that you want to uh, get from the lesson or get from your game and, and where you want to be. Is that correct? Yeah, and I think that they also need to have some help to to find out if what they want is realistic. You know, like the woman who said, I want to hit every shot good. That's not realistic. No. I want to miss it better, 
that's realistic. Yeah. You know, I want to learn to get away with my misses. So, so it's funny because part two of the series is the pregame. So once you know what you want, why you're here, where are you now, you know, what do you mm-hmm. shoot? Well, I don't even keep score. Okay, so if you don't even keep score and you want to hit every shot good, we're a long way away from hitting every shot good. Right. And and I think that's why people need professional help because they don't believe they realize how difficult this game is and how yeah. they really should be satisfied with small little triumphs, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so once once we know where you are, why are you here, where do you want to go, where are you now? How did you get here? How long have you played? How many times do you practice? You know, one of the people at boot camp, I said, well, how many days a week are you willing to practice? He goes, well, I play two days a week. I said, that's not what I asked you. <laughs> you know, you, you might play two days a week, but how many days a week are you going to practice this? Right. To implement it. And and I don't think they realize that when you start to work on something, you sometimes you get worse before you get better. Exactly. Anyway. Well, so once we answer, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go. Well, what I was going to say is, is you're right. You know, people get out in the golf course, and, and it's important. You do have to play golf. You have to put everything together. But you and and the biggest mistake I think most amateurs make is they try tinkering around with their game while they're out playing the golf. You know, playing that round of golf, and that's not where to do it. They need to do it on the practice tee. Um, and, and they, they, they try to combine everything all at once. So well, I'll do my practice while I'm out here. And, 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 you know, if I'm not hitting the ball well, then I'll, I'll just tinker with it out here and they end up messing up the round and it creates frustration. So I, you know, I agree. They, they have to have a balance of both, but, uh, go ahead. Well, and it's just like Alejandra Lanesa said last week or two weeks ago, right. um, you know, she'll work on the range and then she'll go out and play a few holes and she'll try what she was working on the range and right. then she'll come back to the range and finish up her practice. So, yes, it's good to go out on the course to try to implement what you've been working on, but right. that's not where you work on what you're working on. Exactly. So what what are um, some of the compo- components to pregame? Then? What, what do people have to understand um, from a pregame perspective? Well, they gotta um, they got to ask the question, why? Right. See, there's always a why. So why did I miss that shot? So I'll give you an example. I'm working on my backswing. So I'm trying to shorten my backswing because I, you know, miss, I want to hit it farther, tries to swing it back too far, shifts her weight back too far, turns the shoulder so her head moves so I can't play with my glasses. So what's, so the first shot I hit, I hit okay when we were down there because I play with them. Second right. shot I hit a drop kick duck hook. And I was wow. like, whoa, what was that? That was pretty bad, right? So mm-hmm. the next shot I hit, 15 feet from the hole, 180-yard par three, right? Yep. Because I hit two shots. I hit, the first day we play, we play on what is called the tooth at Orange County National. And, and what it is, it's a short nine-hole golf course. Right. And, and it's great because you can hit extra shots. So I got on the next tee box, and I hit an okay drive, and then I hit a drop hook. So I hit, like, eight drop kick hooks that day. So Alan finally said to me, do the Ben Hogan drill. Well, so then we have to say, well, why did I miss those shots? Right. Well, I hit it fat. Okay, why? Well, I'm trying to shorten my backswing. Why? Because I was trying to hit it too far. Why? Because I want to hit it farther because I'm a competitive control freak. Yep. So why... Did you hit it fat? Well, I stopped my left arm too soon, and I started to pull, and I never got the club head to the ball. Why? Because I shortened my swing too much. Oh. So there's a lot of whys there. You follow? Mm -hmm. Yep. So so my picture, if you will, of what I think I'm supposed to do and work on, I over-exaggerated what I was supposed to do. I shortened my backswing so much that it hurt me. So was I able to fix it in the four days we were there? Absolutely. But if I didn't know the why, it would have shown up a lot more often. Right, exactly. Every single time you miss a shot, you need to know what's your why. So my big why comes from 
I try too hard, I'm a competitive control freak, and I need to chill. Now, does that have anything to do with my golf swing? No. Nothing. It has everything to do who Cindy is. Yeah. So so what we do in our Own Your Game series and our Own Your Game golf school is we have people take assessments, online assessments, and the online assessments identify what's my learning style. Do I want to hear it? Do I want to see it? Do I want to feel it? Now, why does that matter? Well, because you have to combine an awful lot of left brain thinking to a right brain perform. So, and if you're not able to do that, it's, you're going to get messed up. So, Cindy turns into Cynthia, who thinks and tries too hard, and then she can't perform. So, if I know that I'm auditory, which I am, I played an instrument for a long time. So I know that I need to finish my backswing and I need to have better tempo so I don't power kill and jump into it. So my right brain, brain dead swing thought might be swing, hinge, slap through, or one and, two and. So all the thinking that I've done on the driving range is now turned into um, right brain, one and, two and. That's it. So yeah, you know, I need to know whether I'm auditory, linea- uh, visual auditory, or kinesthetic. It, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I, I think a lot of people, when they're making changes, don't factor in that there's other adjustments. You know, like you said, for instance, um, you raised a very interesting point. You talked about you know you shortened your backswing uh, in order to be able to to hit it farther, and a lot of people are under the misconception that, well, no, I got to take it back farther if I want to hit it farther. And that's not, not, not true. And the other thing that you mentioned is you had to make adjustments, you know, to your tempo because you're used to taking the club much further back here. Now you're shortening that backswing. You have to adjust your tempo in order to accommodate that because if you're using a different tempo and, but you're shortening your backswing, then you're going to be out of sync, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, what would I have done if I was visual or kinesthetic? You would have different cues. So, again, we need to identify in this pregame section, who are you? You know, how do you learn? What's your behavior style? So once we take this audio-visual kinesthetic assessment, then we take a behavioral report which finds out whether it's a DIS profile, a D-I-S-S-T. So the D is a driven competitive control freak. That would be Cindy Miller, Tiger Woods, Suzanne Patterson. An I is a fun-loving, influencing Christina Kim, happy-go-lucky, mm-hmm. Lee Trevino, you know, Peter Jacobson, yeah. David Sparity for sure, okay? Uh, yeah. S would be Steady, which is Alan Miller, Ernie L, Freddie Couples, Jason Duffner. And a C would be Cautious, which would be Bernard Langer, which would be Keegan Bradley. How many times he milks the club and looks up? It's Cautious. I want to make sure I'm doing it all right. So you need to know who you are because if you're someone like Alan who's steady, slow-paced, doesn't want to take any risks, and someone like me is teaching him, and I'm not aware of that, I'm thinking this guy doesn't care. <laughs> I'm like, wow, you know, now, show up here. Is it possible, Cindy, um, to have a little of everything, or not necessarily everything, but maybe be two uh, part, you know, part D and part oh, S? Oh, yeah, yeah, or? yeah, definitely, okay. definitely. And, and most people are. Most people are a mixture. So, again, I'm a DI. I want to have fun, but I'm going to tell us when we're going to have fun. So right. a DI, you know, an I is fun. They like to wear bright color clothes. And, you know, so Ricky Fowler's got some of that and Lexi Thompson, you know, because right. a, a big C would never wear, would never have a contract with Puma because they're too colorful. Does that make right. sense? Yep, exactly. Um, so, but on the other hand, Ricky Fowler has got some D in him. He wants to win. He goes for things, like things on par fours with 
drivers that hit in the water that he shouldn't have. Right. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, you know? Right. So yep. these will take risks because they want to win. And and S's won't take risks because they want to be steady. So a D needs to know when to go for it, when to lay up, and so does an S, but they're going to have a different plan, if you will. Um, the scary part, and again, I use myself as an example, um, I'm a DI, but when I get in a tournament, I turn into a C. So that's hmm. Cynthia. She's like, okay, look out, be careful. Oh, watch out, don't hit it there. It's like, what? Who is this boy? Go away. Right. You're scaring me, and I don't want to be scared. I don't want to play golf scared. So, again, if, if you don't know who you are, you won't know what your tendencies are. So our mission is to, number one, know who you are so we can help you better, and number two, make you aware of what your tendencies are so we have a place to start so we can help you improve your performance. Do you think, Cindy, and I'm I'm just going to use you as an example because you you know you said that uh, you know you're you're much more uh, aggressive, but then once you get out there, you know sort of the brakes come on and that. Does that do you think derive when somebody that's similar to you that that's maybe uh, traditionally sort of aggressive by nature, um, but then under certain circumstances when when pressure mounts or or, or even um, confidence is needed, that confidence slips away a little bit, maybe because of past experiences? Do you think sometimes that creeps in? Uh, usually yourself as an example, obviously, but do you think that is is the cause of something like that, where your confidence kind well, of... Well, it can be, but again, so here's the third assessment that we, we give you in this Own Your Game online series, or if you're with us, for lessons. Number one is audiovisual kinesthetic. Number two is a behavior report. Number three is a mental golf profile. So the mental golf profile is from Golf Psych, and we've had John Stabler on the program a couple times now. Right. And so what it shows is the tendency. So here's the biggest thing that I've learned. As a high D, very dominant player, I need a strategic plan on how I choose to play the course. And I need to make those decisions before I ever tee off. So how am I going to play number one? How am I going to play number two? How am I going to play number three? What if I'm in the lead, okay? So mm-hmm. let's use Ricky Fowler. If I'm in a playoff or if I'm tied for the lead, I mean, again, the guy, all he had to do was make par on that short par four and he wins the tournament. Right. He dumps it in the water, makes double or bogey, whatever he made, but he dumps it in the water. Now he's in a playoff. Now he hits three wood. He dumps it in the water again. And, and he used mm-hmm. three wood. It's like, oh, my God, you know. Hit a night iron off the tee. How many times yeah. do you have to be beat up before you learn this lesson? So clearly, that was the high D winning over the smart decision. And right. that's the, the third assessment report that we give you in our program is to find out what are your tendencies and how can we better fix you. So you might have issues with emotional control mm-hmm. and tension management because you're so dominant and you make stupid decisions. Oh, well, I never thought of that. Get a little smarter. You know, a, a lot of guys would love to break 90. And I say to them, okay, you can't hit any green in regulation today. They go, what do you mean? I don't want you to hit the green in regulation. Why not? Because I'm going to show you how you're going to break 90. Really? You know, I want you to hit the green in one under regulation, and, you know, you're going to goof it up and make a par somewhere. And you're going to make 17 bogeys and you're going to shoot 89. Oh, I never thought of that. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's it's a strategy, it's a plan. And, and for someone that's a high D, I have to have a strategy and a plan. And my go-to is when and where I take the risk, I have to have at least a 50-50 chance of pulling it off. So, again, in that par four, I don't even remember what tournament it was. What tournament was that? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Um, they just hit the Northern Trust, so I know it wasn't that. Um, was it wasn't it the one in, I'm sorry? Was it the old Bob Hope, the Desert Classic? It wasn't it might, No, no, no. It, it might have anyway, been. It, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So anyway, you know, again, he should have said, look, I want to win the tournament. Let's think for a minute. Before I pull this club out of the bag, let's have a strategy. You know, he could have hit a nine iron and a nine iron on the green. 
Yeah, and, and, and that happens. So, yeah, and that happens with some players like that. You know that they don't. Um, you know they're in a position to win the tournament, but a, a part of their personality takes over that shouldn't be. That should have, you know, uh, sort of taken a back seat. And you know, ultimately, and that and there's been proof of that through, throughout history in golf. Uh, many players have, have done the same thing. Where they, and people think, well, they just sort of fallen apart, but that's not really what happens. It's just that their their uh, dominant side takes over and doesn't allow them well, to. and they're not staying in the present moment. They're starting right. to cry too hard. They need to stop and say, okay, where are we at right now? Let's take a little inventory of what's going on here and what's my smartest play from this situation. And so, again, that would be something that a high D would do and a high I. You know, I want to win and I want to look good. And then you get slapped around and then you say, oh, boy, that was a stupid mistake. <laughs> So, again, you know, are you pursuing? Are you protecting? You know, I'm way better off playing golf when I pursue. The minute I start to protect, I'm playing with clenched butt cheeks, and I might as well go home. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and you're right. And and what do you think that is? Why do you think that your your mental side changes into a protective mode? Um, You know, you're you're heading to the golf course. You're thinking, pursue, pursue. I need to do that. You get out on, on there in the first few holes and you're pursuing, but then all of a sudden it, it shifts gears. Why do you think that happens to you? Well, you might hit a bad shot, and, and like me with the drop kick hook, and it's like, uh-oh, what was that? So yeah. now you've got appreh- apprehension, and now you have a little bit of doubt, and now you might have a little fear, and then you've got a little tension, and then you've got a little tension, and then you've got a little bad shot, rather than, oh, I know what that was. So, again, that's what we teach our students. I want to teach you why you miss it. You know, if we know why we miss it, we can fix it, and everyone's going to miss it. So how do we learn to miss it better and understand what our tendencies are? So all this is about awareness. So for you to learn to own your game, you have to be aware of who you are, how you learn, and what your tendencies are. And and I would love to have the viewer, or the listeners, you know, tune in and sign up. The link is on Facebook. The link is on uh, the website, right, Blog Talk? to sign up for the On Your Game series? Yes. Yes, it is. And it starts Um, April 4th, and it's four Mondays in a row, and it's $249 and includes all the assessments and four one-hour online, you know, live webinars with me and my husband, Alan, and they will also be tape-recorded so you can listen later if you can't make it live. Yeah, and and it's a great idea. Yeah, I have it up on – it was actually under – uh, this week again, the the link was there under for um, not only the show but on my Facebook page as well uh, under this week's uh, show announcement. So if you just uh, scroll down through the notes, the link was there uh, again. So make sure you do that because that, that definitely is is a great opportunity for those of you listening into the show and pass it around too. Don't just um, you know take it yourself if if you've got some golfers in mind that uh, that you think would benefit from this, which I guarantee they will. Um, share the link with them as well and let them uh, take the assessments and, and, and become involved. I mean, that's the only way you're going to learn and become a better golfer. And uh, uh, kudos to you, Cindy, for, for really putting together uh, a fantastic program, you and Alan, uh, and just making it available. I think too many people, you know, focus on the hitting side of, of golf and not really on the mental side. I mean, there's there's a lot of them getting into it now, but I think truly your approach to it um, you know, asking the whys is really very important. Yep, totally is. It just and it, it, once you answer the why, then you're like, oh, now I'm not so crazy. Well, you might still and, be crazy, but not yeah. as crazy. And, and just <laughs> solutions. You want solutions to your, you know, challenges. Well, you know, and Cindy, you see this when you're when you're doing your boot camps uh, and you're talking to you know a lot of these individuals down there. They're you know they're struggling because they don't understand what to look for. They're they're looking for the mechanical side uh, as as the the fix. And you know sometimes there are some tweaks. Maybe it's a grip, uh, you know, a poor grip or, or things like that. But a lot of it is they just don't understand how to prepare themselves. Um, you know they don't know how to. First off, they they haven't really defined their game. Uh, they just think, well, I'm not looking to be a professional. But there's more to it than that. Um, just because you don't have aspirations of being the next LPGA star. 
um, doesn't mean you shouldn't define your own game. Decide what it is that you want. Why are you playing this game and, and all the different whys there. And then, you know, as you said, in pregame, understanding when you hit a bad shot, why did you hit that shot? And, and the only way really to do that, Cindy, is to take this, this type of an assessment and work with somebody like yourself and Alan uh, and, and the many others out there uh, and, and get them to help you work through that. Uh, and, and there's a great, uh, and we'll mention it again before the end of the show, but uh, you can visit mine. And I think, Cindy, you've got it up on yours as well and also on the website uh, for the show. Uh, you can get that as well, uh, the link to, to purchase uh, Own Your Game program. So uh, it's a great, great package. Um, Cindy, I see that uh, Myra is, is ready to come on board. So let me just do a quick uh, introduction, and then we will get her to, to join us and, and to have some discussion for this morning. Uh, our very special guest, as I mentioned earlier in the show, is Myra Blackwelder, and she's a native Kentuckian, former LPGA Tour player, uh, was also a member of the university golf team, uh, graduated, of course, from the University of Kentucky, and she was the uh, University of Kentucky women's uh, team head coach, uh, mother and teacher of the game for 23 years, and founded uh, her own business, uh, Black Welder Golf, in 2010. She had a phenomenal junior career, just so many accolades, I, I could go on forever, uh, a great collegiate career, and also was a touring professional uh, professional for 13 years, and now, of course, uh, teaches this great game. To get a, an insight to her full uh, bio, you can go to her website, which is www.blackweldergolf.com. And without further hesitation, let's bring on Myra Blackwelder. Good morning, my friend. Good morning, Cindy. Hello there. How are you all? This is, uh, you got Cindy and Ted here. We're doing great. Okay. Thank you so much for being on the show with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Myra, I, I, I want to um, start things off really uh, very quickly, if we can, with you. In, in in two areas. We're going to talk about something that you and Cindy are working on, but uh, I want to ask you a quick question. I was thinking about this as we were going through the show. Um, when you go to work each and every morning and you uh, open the doors, if you will, to Blackwell or golf, what goes through your mind? How do you prepare yourself for each day when you're out there ready to work with your students? What's the sort of the, the first things that run through your mind prepare for the day? You know, that's a great question. Um, I'm a real believer in... Um, meeting the student where they are. And so what I always do, I always look at my schedule lineup for the day and um, just kind of think about where that student might be along the progress curve. And, um, you know, obviously um, I don't really premeditate anything hmm. necessarily. I, I, When they come in, the first question I ask is, you know, how, how are things going? Where are you with your game? Uh, what do you think is the most important thing that we accomplished today? And then that's kind of how I start with each student. Um, you know, I just basically take an individual approach to each person and um, just let it lead uh, based on their goals for the day. Right. Um, so you don't go in with any sort of preconceived uh, ideas ahead of time. Obviously, you, you want the day to be successful, but um, you really take your cues from the students then. Yes, you know, I I just ask them a lot of questions. You know, obviously we're coming in, you know, out of the winter and right. uh, starting to prepare for spring. Uh, I am fortunate in that I do have an indoor uh, facility um, with video and and so forth. So I, we're set up really well through the winter. However, you're still limited, um, you know, in our climate. Sure. You know, getting out on grass, you can't substitute for that. Right, and uh, that's one of the beauties of, of course. Uh, living in the south is you do have a, a little bit longer season than they do uh, say where Cindy is up in Buffalo uh, a lot of the time now Cindy I know you travel all over the place but uh, and have an opportunity to work uh, extensively in the south as well throughout the year but uh, it does give some advantages to, to be in the southeast particularly and, and uh, well southwest as well I guess now the two of you are working on something kind of interesting and and um, Myra, if you wouldn't mind starting off you're working you and Cindy are working together on America's golf team tell us a little bit about that Yes, um, the America's Golf Team project originated in 2010, and it was right as I was uh, winding up my tenure as the University of Kentucky women's golf coach. And what I noticed when I took that job, my daughter was playing at that time uh, for the University of Florida, and I did note that when she was on the Florida golf team, um, she was one of just a few American players 
And, uh, you know, the Florida golf team was very um, proactive in recruiting from all over the world kids that had uh, prepared to play in their national team organizations and and golf federations uh, of their country. And so, you know, I I watched Mallory play college golf for for a couple of years, and then I was hired as the head coach at UK in 2007. And I quickly realized, as I was really thinking about recruiting, if my aspirations were to take the team into the top 25, which was clearly the goal, then it was going to be uh, pretty uh, important for me to begin to recruit internationally. And so, um, you know, I was talking to a lot of the other coaches and they felt the same way and and then that's what they were doing. And, And so we all kind of decided that the United States needed to pull together a federation of our own and so um, thus the idea began, and, and I began to uh, do research. Um, fortuitously, my daughter qualified for the Ladies European Tour in 2010, and so after I left my position at UK, I um, was really doing a lot of research and development for the program, trying to figure out what the United States needed to do and how we would uh, raise money for the program and how we would scale it to all 50 states. So I had an opportunity to go to Europe and watch my daughter play on the European tour, and they had a rain delay one day in Spain, and um, everyone was staying at the same hotel. There was only Wi-Fi in the lobby, and so all the kids from all over the world were in that lobby (laughs) in a rain delay. So I got to interview the kids from all over the world and find out what their countries were doing for them. And so from that, a lot of ideas came uh, into the fore, and then we tweaked those ideas for several years on how to scale it to the United States. And, um, you know, it's been a long process, but we do feel like we've got a program now that's very workable. Um, We uh, filed the program um, with the United States Golf Association in July for an evaluation, um, making sure that what we are proposing to do was within uh, the guidelines of amateur status, and uh, we were gratified that they um, um, approved our program, everything that we requested to be able to do for junior golfers. Um, We are in compliance. And so where the program stands right now, we are under review uh, at the NCAA as well as the Kentucky High School Athletic Association with the goal that we will eventually, um, you know, try to roll out to all 50 states and uh, get approval from their state high school athletic associations as well. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, Now, Cindy, you're also uh, involved in this, correct? I'm trying to help Myra uh, basically figure out some programs and implementation, and we are trying to get some funding, which Myra has done unbelievable, an unbelievable job and has not given up and, and I'm so proud of her, but we're going to try to get enough funding to start this program off and do pilot programs. Right. Myra, you want to tell him about the pilot? Sure. Yeah, so so the way the way we are trying to, to roll this out, um, the ultimate goal, um, the end goal, would be to have a national team program once we have enough uh, – local sites on board to be able to start feeding a national team program. Mm -hmm. So it starts really in the local level. We've got, you know, the United States kind of divided into a local level that would feed into state team, select teams, and then you'd move on up the food chain into regional golf, uh, you know, like um, north-south, six regions that would feed a national team. And then so that, that's the opportunity to be able to play other international teams at the junior level. And so it all starts in the local area. And so the way we've got it set up is that uh, we set up a foundation, and basically our goal will be to bring on a facility and coaches who would be very interested in aligning with the America's Golf Team program. They would set up a local organization, they would help build a local booster club. 
so that we would do fundraising for the local team. And so basically out of that local team, um, they would be independent. They can fund the things that, you know, are uh, compliant with our mission. And the local area would be the master of their own destiny. Then, you know, having said that, we would field, you know, state competitions and so forth for those teams that would then feed the higher, you know, national team right. concept. Now, is this going to be available at different levels, not just, you know, from regional to national, but but what's the, the age demographic that you're – are you focusing on a specific age group or is there going to be different levels of ages? So, like, your junior and then you're sort of your – and the reason I'm asking to be kind of like your, your school system, you know, your junior, then your middle school and your high school and then your collegiate, is it going to be that or is it, are you focusing on one area? Yeah, um, well, you know, what we intend to do, obviously, is at the local level, um, each local team will organize themselves. They'll have different age groups. You know, we feel like it's really important to engage kids at a very young age, as as early as four to five. So, for instance, one of the things that I'll be scheduling probably this week is I have an after-school program. I organized my local community as the very first pilot of America's Golf Team five years ago. And what we did is we took golf into the school system, and mm-hmm. I worked with the um, the golf in, in school uh, PE coordinator, Melody Hamilton. And what we did is we came up with the idea that we would introduce the game to every se- second, fourth, and sixth grader, and then you know, um, offer opportunities after school for kids that wanted to go a little deeper. And right. that's one of the things that I've done in my local community. So now we've actually introduced the game almost to the entire student population um, where I live. It's a, a population of 4,000 kids, four mm-hmm. elementary schools, one middle school, and one high school. But then the program moves on out into the local golf courses where we do, you know, spring training events and uh, local developmental leagues and so forth. So it's just like a, um, it's a uh, group of people working together. I've had programs at the rec center as well, um, indoor. And so it's just the rec center, the school system, the local golf courses working together to grow the game. And so that's kind of the idea of America's golf team. So basically, you would have uh, we've divided um, the program into two kind of categories. One is trained to play, and one is right. trained to compete. So train to play would be entry-level programs, and it could even be like an LPGA girls golf program. Both Cindy and I are, are involved in that program. Uh, for girls, it could be a first-tee program. It could be a PGA junior league golf program. All those are kind of entry-level programs. And then, of course, right. golf courses routinely have all kinds of entry-level you know, clinics for, for juniors and so forth. So all of that would be under the category of train to play. So the way we've organized our foundation is that as the local team organization does fundraising then the, the local coaches that actually coach those programs these were would be certified professionals that you know are expert in what they do um rather than uh, um you know volunteers that teach the game i think there's a big distinction distinction there um the coaches can offer very very affordable learning programs and then they can invoice the foundation of the local team for the subsidy for their time. So in other words, the, the train-to-play family or the, the child uh, who may have a very limited budget, they're going to get expert training at that train-to-play level, uh, right. you know, professionals that are highly trained, and we'll, we're able to hold down the cost. So basically what America's golf team is trying to do is to bridge the economic interest between you know, the families who have limited yep. budget, and then the, the golf business itself, the, the equipment companies, the, the coaches, the facilities who need revenue streams to keep the doors open and to keep golf going. So um, so that's what we hope to do is kind of stand in the gap there, do fundraising so that each local organization will have the resources that, that they need to be able to grow the game, offer a high-quality product at the local level. And then once once you do that, you have a pool of kids, you can you can select out talent. You can quickly see who right. might have that potential to play, you know, on the middle school team or play AJGA or play college golf. So once 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 you identify those kids who 
have the competency to, uh, you know, play 18 holes, you know, carry their own bag around the course, play in tournaments, then they become um, classified as trained-to-compete kids. And then once the NCAA weighs in, um, we have been authorized by the USGA to be able to fund training for those trained-to-compete kids 12 months a year. We can provide them, uh, you know, individual instruction, trainers for uh, fitness and strength coaching. We could send them to a sports psychologist, a nutritionist. We could make sure they have the latest equipment, you know, gear, um, join, the, join the golf course, and then send right. them to tournaments. So that's kind of the idea. Um, but, yes, it would be, you know, we, we envision having uh, programming for kids as, as young as four to five years old all the way up to the college age. And then once they get into college, you know, probably America's golf team will just let that process play out. And right. then at the end of the road, way on down the line, after we get going and, and, and get the junior golf world um, kind of squared away, we, we envision having a young professional development program on the other side of their academic c- career where each state would have, you know, funding for their very best players to help them join the tour if they, if they so choose. So, um, Yeah, I, I like the fa- uh, Myra, I like the fact and the approach that you guys are taking um that it's you're training to play and not just to compete um there's two options there because not everybody that that's going to um you know wants to play golf necessarily wants to be the next LPJ or, or PGA uh player they just want to be able to play and a lot of programs out there un- until now have really been funnels if you will for the tours i mean you know whether it be a junior uh program and and collegiate and that and and i mean you certainly want to keep that thrive and, and you want to empower that but at the same time there's a lot of people that would love to play but when they are faced with that option only of you know being the next Ricky Fowler or Annika Sorensen or whoever it happens to be um, you know suddenly they, they retract a little bit because they know they don't have the ability or they don't have the interest or desire so I like the fact that you're, you're hitting everybody you're hitting those that maybe have aspirations but at the same time people that just want to go out and play and and be introduced to golf there's an option there for them as well. Yeah, and, and we felt like that was very, very important. In the very beginning, uh, research and development of what we needed to do in the United States, um, we took our time in the very beginning to set our goals, and it was clear that we had really like a two-fold mission. One was just basically to grow participation in the sport, period. Right, um, right. That, you know, that is very healthy for the golf industry. It's healthy for the future of the game. Um, and like you say, you know, we want kids, um, we we feel like golf is such an important uh, character builder, leadership development yep. tool. Um, you know, if you're involved in golf, chances are, you know, if you're going to the golf course each day, you encounter people in the community that are civic leaders, and there's just a mm. lot of learning opportunity to rub elbows with people at the golf course. And, a, yep. and, and it's a multi-generational sport. There's just so many great things about it. So that's, that's mission number one. And then out of that pool of golfers that are having a lot of fun, um, you know, just participating in the game, out of that, a natural, you know, separation will occur. The kids that are super interested in the competitive side of the game – we wanted to make sure that we had a fundraising organization that could help that child go as far as they want in the game. So, in other words, resources wouldn't be the end that would determine your future. Yeah, and I like that. Like I said, you know, because if you're if you think about it, really, from a numbers perspective, if you're targeting um, from a competitive side only, your pool is going to be much smaller. Um, yeah. Whereas if if you're targeting both areas. Now you've got a much vaster pool to draw from, and you may get some people that that might start out just to play, but may develop as time goes on, as you said, as they as they start to climb the ladder, so to speak, uh, and get into the collegiates, and then then you sort of you know open the floodgates uh, and provide opportunities should they have that interest to move in that direction. But at the same time, um, you're you're hitting everybody else in between, so you're, you're helping to grow the game number one, um, but you're also uh, still tapping into a, a much larger pool of potential, um, you know, uh, top players down the road. So that gives you a much pool to, uh, to draw from. Let me ask you a, a question, Myra, about um, 
you know, we talked about, you talked about funding and that. Um, are, what are some of the challenges and, and how do you see overcoming those challenges as far as getting the, the financial resources to help uh, put this project into, into light? Well, um, you know, obviously when we were doing the research and development of the program, I, I did some research on some other Olympic development programs, just kind of trying to understand how they uh, were funded and so forth. And and a lot of the, the Olympic sports received grants mm-hmm. from the U.S. Olympics. And I know um, I was told that USA Hockey started with $48 million dollars and they were able to quickly grow into a national program. But right. but I felt like golf has inherently been a fundraising tool for generations right. for all kinds of charitable events. So we as golfers, and the way golf is set up, we are a natural fundraising entity already. And so yeah. what I you know, my thought was is that we, we would just use our know how within the golf industry so that we would be resourceful, we wouldn't um have to um, you know, try to look for that type of funding. We could we could grow into the program on our own. So, so basically, after the uh, the USGA approved our program in September, then um, we began to start moving into a, what I call phase two, which is the funding phase. So right now, we are beginning to put together grants uh, and possible donors. You know, looking for possible donors that would. Um, enjoy working with our mission, and um, actually, I met a, a, a friend of mine that played on my college golf team. Her name is Ann Thompson, and she became our first donor. So I'm getting ready to uh, open up a bank account for the foundation and actually begin to uh, put a little money in the bank. And mm-hmm. uh, I've got a board of directors, and so you know we will um, now begin to get into some grant writing. Uh, we do have our first grant that we've submitted. So we've got one now. Um, we're going to try to, you know, kind of grow that operation. And, uh, you know, it's just a matter of uh, getting that lucky break and finding um, the donors who really believe in our mission and help us start. Because I, I do think that once people kind of understand what we are getting ready to do, um, they will get real excited about it. And I guess one other thing that I probably ought, ought to mention is um, in, in uh, several years ago, um, we were still in R&D, and I was doing my local pilot here at home, um, doing the in-school mm. uh, project and working with the local golf courses and all that. And in a, um, a magazine article in Golf Week because they covered um, my aspiration back in 2010. Right. And he had seen, and so he gave me a call, and his daughter. Um, had qualified for the U.S. Girls Junior, and they were in the real estate business, and it was right in the height of the economic crunch in Florida, and uh, they didn't have the finances to send his daughter to uh, the U.S. Girls Junior, which is out in San Francisco. And, you know, a trip like that, it ends up costing almost $3,000. You pay a caddy, you buy airfares, you know, hotel, rental cars, all that stuff. And so um, he asked for help. So we we called around to some organizations to try to get help and we weren't really able, we weren't successful in uh, going through the the um, the normal channels that you might think would be set up to help uh, the Florida Golf Association did contribute $1000 towards the project but it still wasn't enough so i got on facebook one day and i just you know wrote a little couple of paragraphs about what we wanted to do and uh, by the end of the day we had raised $1800 which wow. was enough for her to, you know, we made sure with the USGA it was okay. They said, yes, it's fine. So we raised the money. She went to the tournament. And then later that year, she ended up uh, finishing third in the PGA Junior Series, and she was invited to represent the United States on the Junior Ryder Cup event. And we, we helped her go to an AJGA event to, to, to get her um, All-American Award. And So anyway, we basically helped her keep her career going through that year and you know i will say today she was 15 years old at that time and now today she plays for the university of florida so we were able to help their family out at a critical time which kept her career going so that's what america's golf team is really designed to do and um so you know we've had a little dabbling in it thus far but um you know we were looking for um a program that could be um you know 
uh, authorized by the USGA. The way we've got it designed, um, it was you know a little bit complicated to to figure out at first. But now we've got our program. They've they've approved it, and we're hoping that you know by uh, the summer that the NCAA will come come in line and uh, give it give it the blessing as well. So that's kind of our n- next major push, is to get the NCAA um, to agree. Now, is there somewhere that that um, people can go to to learn more about the program itself? Is there a website that's been set up yet, or is there um, how can they go about finding out? Uh, maybe somebody that wants to be a donor. Uh, is, is there somewhere that they can go to, to get more information or contact to, to get more information? Yes. Right now we do have a website set up. It's it's, it's americasgolfteam.com, um, and that is actually with my friend's donation that she made. What she wants us to do is redo our website so that we can put a donate button on the website and get right. all of that set up. So that's what we're going to do with my former teammates' uh, donation. Uh, I'm getting ready to schedule a board meeting um, in the next couple of weeks to discuss this with my board once they sign off on it. Um, hopefully we'll have that up and going um, by May 1st, you know, probably. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, people can go online at americasgolfteam.com. Um, we've had a lot of um, positive things that have happened since the website was left, you know, uh updated so we're not quite updated yet but um, we're moving in that direction into phase two now which is funding so that that's kind of the next step for us so if somebody wanted to donate money how would they do that right now well yeah right now if uh, if if anybody does want to make a donation um, we will accept it Um, they just write the check get a write off yes Yes, yes, it's tax deductible, 100%. Make the check to americasgolfteam.com. And uh, what I will do today is I will um, kind of make a preliminary page on the website, uh, like donate here, and put Mm -hmm. the information on where you would send the check, and we will be happy to send you a receipt. Perfect. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, Myra, it it sounds like a a great um, a great platform, as I said earlier. And and Cindy, you know, I know you're you're helping on this as well. Uh, I think this is a great area. I think this is really something that the golf industry has needed for a long time. You know, there's a lot of terrific programs out there for junior golfers to to, to get involved with, but they're very, um, you know, they're fantastic programs. First Tee and and the PGA Junior and and that, but. Part of the problem is is it's sort of focusing more on a, on a filter system, if you will, um, and, and to get into collegiate and, and beyond. And there really hasn't been anything out there for just those that just want to go out and learn to play golf. And the accessibility has been difficult for a lot of people. And it sounds like you've created a, a great plan to sort of overcome that challenge. And and I think really this is a – from a personal standpoint, I think this is a great opportunity uh, for corporations to get involved and get – you know financially to get behind a program like this because it's not just about creating tour players it's not just about creating the next great greatest golfer it's about really uh opening the doors to a lot of people potentially as employees um and and golf as we know the three of us can can attest to is a great business tool a lot more and more people are using it uh, as a business tool now especially uh, in uh, women that maybe traditionally didn't use it and are seeing the benefits of it. So this is a great program. So I, you know, I would urge, um, you know, corporations out there to, to really get involved in this and, and get some some funding behind it and, and donate. So um, they can do that by going to America's dot com, and you'll put some information up there on, on how they can go about doing that. Correct? Yes, yes, Jen. I'll, I'll work on that right now. And, and uh, I Myra, appreciate the opportunity. Reach out, how do people reach out to you if they have questions? Yeah, so what I'll do is, is I'll create a, a, a new um, category today on my website, a page on how to contact me to learn more. Okay. Perfect. I will, Perfect. I will get that lined out for them today. Okay. Perfect. And then, you know, my email, my email address is very simple. It's just Myra, M-Y-R-A, at americasgolfteam.com. Very good. And for those that want to learn more about uh, your uh, golfing uh, expertise, if they're interested in working with you as well, they can learn all they can 
uh, about you by going to your uh, own website, uh, www.blackweldergolf.com. Correct. Well, Myra, we want to thank you for, for coming on. Uh, I wish we had a little bit more time. It's very exciting what you're doing, and I think it's fantastic. Uh, it's, it's probably, to be honest, one of the best things I've heard in a long time about really growing the game. I've heard a lot of great ideas, but it's probably one of the best I've heard in, in years. And I, I want to wish you all the success with it. And I'm certainly going to do – in fact, I'm going to visit your page uh, after the show or a little bit later. I'll give you a chance to put all that information up there. And I'm going to start helping you to spread the word through my uh, social network. Okay, very network. good. Yeah, thank you and, so much, and uh, and I appreciate the opportunity to uh, share the message, and maybe we'll do it again. Uh, thank we, you you're so all, much, Myra. Yeah, you're always welcome. welcome to come come back on. Have a great day, and thank you very much for sharing that with us uh, on the Women of Golf Show. You, you all do the same. Thanks a lot. I'll talk to all you right, soon, bye-bye. Cindy. Bye. 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 Very good. I know we only have a second or two here, Cindy, so we'll, we'll wrap it up. But uh, certainly some great information and and. Uh, what a great opportunity for, for the golf industry and, and just for, for people in general. Um, we want to thank our very special guest again, Myra Blackwelder, uh, for joining us today and sharing uh, that information. And, and Cindy, as always, um, thank you for, for bringing uh, the Own Your Game series. Uh, today we talked about pregame. If you missed the show, go to uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf and you can pick up the full uh, program in its entirety. And we'll be back next week with part three. What's part three, Cindy? Do you, can you sneak that out now? I cannot. Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, then you're going to have to just, those of you that are listening, you're going to have to stay tuned and come but back. I, and, it will be good. It will be good. Uh, I have no doubt. <laughs> On behalf of Cindy Miller, uh, I'm Ted Odorico, and we are the hosts of the Women of Golf Show, and we will see you next Tuesday right here at 9 a.m. Eastern uh, Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com's Women of Golf. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Cindy. God bless, and have a great day. Have a day. great week. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.